Welcome back to The Strong Room. Topics we'll cover this half hour, how to plan a will properly, and we'll feature an interview with internationally renowned chef, Paul Rogalski. Here are estate and tax planning experts, Melanie Grant and Roland Lequie, talking about what needs to be included when you're planning your will. I was hoping that you'd be able to talk about will planning and how essential it is to estate planning in particular, but what all the documents are involved and what exactly do they do? Well, there's three basic documents that we work with every day. The will, people generally know what that is. That disposes of your assets after your death. But there are two other documents that we strongly recommend a person prepare, and they're less known. One of them is called a personal directive, The other is an enduring power of attorney. And they provide for governance of your personal issues if you're still alive but have lost capacity. And that could be for a variety of reasons. It could be the onset of old age where you begin to lose control over your assets. You know, what is money? How much do things cost? Uh, And lose control over your personal care. You know, do you cook meals for yourself properly? Do you turn the stove off after cooking? Do you lock your doors at night? All of these things can become more difficult as someone gets older. So we do have documents that will give someone the ability to provide for planning around those issues. Okay, so also somebody, for instance, was in a coma or a car accident and they don't have the ability to make those decisions, somebody would act for them as well, Roland? That's, that's exactly right. And the advantage to having the document is we avoid the other process, which is getting a decision maker through a court process. Obviously going to be more costly, going to be more labor intensive, and certainly more emotional. If you prepare a personal directive or a power of attorney, it's something you can take your time with and give real thought to who you want to make decisions, what parameters you want to put upon them. If you don't have these documents and you have to satisfy this requirement through a court process, it's much more difficult for the family because, of course, they don't know what would you want, who would you want to make decisions. The court isn't going to take it lightly. They'll want to make sure that all of the parties involved will be canvassed, and the proper persons will be identified, sometimes that's a question, especially in situations where there is an ex-spouse, children from a blended relationship, um, families that lose contact or fall out of favor with each other. These can all create conflict in terms of who would the court appoint to look after your issues. So really, by preparing these types of documents, you're safeguarding the harmony of your family giving your family the gift of knowing your wishes so that they don't carry maybe guilt around making a medical decision or not knowing how you might want to spend your money or giving gifts. There's restrictions around if you don't have a document in place, what your family members could do on your on your behalf or, for instance, gifting some of your um, assets if your child was in need, for instance. Yeah, there certainly are limits in what a court will allow someone to do for you versus what you can dictate can be done for you. For example, with your assets, you can pick someone who has the power to sign documents on your behalf. So if you have an elderly parent and they're moving from their home into a care facility 
and they cannot afford their home any longer, it may become a requirement to sell the house. And if the aged parent cannot sell, cannot sign documents, then someone has to be appointed to do that for them. If it's done through your own direction, it's certainly easier. You have more discretion over what you choose to do with the proceeds versus if it's appointed through the court, they're going to go by the book much more in terms of governing the rules around this, what you can do with the funds, who can benefit from those funds. So planning ahead is certainly going to give you more flexibility and ease on the family that is looking after you. So I guess choosing the appropriate person also needs to be given a lot of contemplation. Can you um, expand a little bit on that? Yes. When you look at who should make decisions for you, there's a number of options that are open. It could be one person in particular, such as your spouse or a child. But oftentimes we look at, well, what happens if your spouse is predeceased you? Who then is it going to be? And we look at a number of options. It could be a combination of people. Maybe you have two or three children and you want them to act together as a group. Um, some children are in different locations, in which case flexibility of one signing a document with a consultation process might be the right answer. Or maybe you have to go outside the family and pick a professional, like an accountant or an estate planner, to be involved make sure that issues are dealt with properly. With regards to your personal directive that takes care of your health care and your enduring power attorney, which covers your financial affairs, can you name different people in those documents or does it need to be one and the same? It can be different people and that's exactly why they are different documents. You may have a person in your life that is very skilled at balancing your checkbook, managing investments, but you wouldn't want them looking after your personal care on a day-to-day -day basis or vice versa. You may have someone who's very kind and considerate and able to make tough decisions around health and personal issues but have no concept of what investments you should be put in or how much things cost. So the documents can be tailored towards the proper skill set that your decision makers have. Now, in these documents, do you afford for people to be, um, for instance, compensated for their time to take care of these, for instance, say for your financial affairs? You can include those in your documents, Roland? That's a very good point. Sometimes the issues that lead up to the incapacity can be an extended period. If you have an elderly parent that loses capacity by virtue of dementia, they could be in that position for 10 years or longer. And that can put a real onus on the party that is looking after them. So yes, they can be compensated. Uh, quite often we have families with multiple children, and quite often there's one child in particular that will take the the majority of the workload. And if that extends over a long period of time, there may be a, a real compensation question. Should they be compensated for doing that work? Or do they simply wait until the parent passes away and they share equally in the distribution of assets? So compensation can be arranged to try to more fairly deal with that question. So it sounds like the documents can be quite tailored to meet your family needs or your personal needs. What I know we had worked on one file together where a gentleman didn't actually want to wear bedclothes when he went to bed. I believe you actually wrote that into the document in his personal directive. Yeah, we do get some strange situations that come up. That fellow in particular um, 
did not like wearing pajamas. And we worded it such that he would be in the least restrictive bed clothing possible. I don't think the care facilities wanted him running around naked. So we, we try to accommodate with, with proper language where we can. But you can really tailor it to your own lifestyle. And we want these documents to be prepared in terminology that a person would use. We want it to be your document. It's not a simple boilerplate that we slap together, put a name and a date on. They really should be tailored to each individual's situation. I know conversations with whoever you're going to appoint as your agent is very important. We had a file that we worked on where a mom had two daughters, and she thought she would name one daughter to care for both documents, both the financial and the health. But when she actually had the conversation with the daughter, um, the daughter said, if I have to pull the plug on you, mom, I don't feel comfortable with that. I wouldn't be able to live going forward, feeling free. Um, So she approached her other daughter and had that conversation, and the daughter asked if she was in the will, and the mother said yes, and she's like, I'm happy to pull the plug. So I'm just joking there. But the important part is to have those conversations ahead of time because it is a weighty responsibility on your loved ones or a friend or a family member. Exactly right. Part of the benefit of having a document is putting together the parameters of what you want to govern. But another benefit, as you mentioned, is just having the family discussions. These are difficult topics to bring up around a Sunday evening dinner. But if you're looking at a document that we prepare that's in front of you, it can certainly open the door to these discussions, and that's very valuable. I know another family situation that we had worked on, I think you were involved as well, Roland, was where um, uh, dad became incapacitated and the doctor... Um, had recommended that we enact the documents. And this daughter had had issue with the mother, the new mother, the stepmother of 25 years, and actually refused access for her to see her husband. So the importance is that you name somebody that will honor your, your wishes. So the bottom line is, it's very important to consider questions such as these, because they do operate while you're still alive. Who's going to look after your finances? What sort of health treatments do you want or not want in terms of termination of support? So giving some contemplation to these topics is a very crucial task. When we come back, a business owner's success story as we meet a master chef. This is The Strong Room on News Talk 770.